0: Well, good morning, Red Hills Church. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> We're going to need security over here. <laughs> hey, I want to welcome all of you to Red Hills Church. My name is Aaron Anson, I'm the lead pastor, and everyone watching online, can we just give it up for everyone watching online this morning? Glad that you're here, a part of what God uh, is doing, and uh, some of you uh, came to, uh, you got my email on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, it's been uh, a crazy week for us, and so uh, you're here to, to hear about uh, Brian and I and our family and our transition and the new season God uh, has us in. So I thank you for coming. Uh, but before I do that, we, I wanted to uh, preach from the word because I, I wanted to honor the word and honor Jesus this morning and make today more about him because the reality is this. God had put a word in my heart, two words, invisible prisons for you. And It was about a year ago. And so I've been planning and preparing and thinking and praying about this series for uh, almost 12 months. And I believe God has something in here for you and I. If you have your Bibles, I want you uh, to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter uh, 4. Invisible prisons. I don't know why these Kleenex boxes up here. Invisible prisons, what we're going to talk about is that there are places in our life that keep us bound up and keep us trapped and stuck, and it feels like we can't follow God and His path and His plan and His purpose for our life. I'm calling those invisible uh, prisons. And the title of my message today is called The Paradox. And over the course of the next several weeks, the next two months, we're going to look at the prison stories in Scripture that there are all these narratives about the people of God being imprisoned for their faith. And we're going to look at what God does in those moments. And what God does in those moments, I believe he can do in our lives as well in the prisons that we face. So what I wanted to do is start with the words of Jesus today in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 14 through 21. This is what the word says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Many commentators and scholars call this the inaugural speech. Of Jesus. Now, I don't know what position you have in life, what you do, but if you are a business owner, if you're a CEO, if you are a teacher, if you are a manager, if you are a communicator, if you are a preacher, the very first message that you give is important. It's important because you're usually telling people who you are and what you're going to do. The first words that come out of your mouth matter. Every four years on January 20th, the elected president gives an inaugural speech. And they give a speech about their, what they're going to do and what their government is going to look like for the next four years. And there are promises that that the president gives. And there's all these things. And and even if you notice, as you go throughout the four years, people always point back to the inaugural speech. That he gave promises here and he hasn't fulfilled his promises here. But essentially what the president is doing is telling you how he's going to run the country. Now for Jesus, I'm calling this his first sermon that he's ever given. This is his first message. And it's important to look at the first sermon that Jesus ever gave. I remember my first sermon here at this church over nine years ago. I preached from 1 Thessalonians 1.5. How many of you were here back then? All right. Like six. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 1.5, where Paul says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. What was I telling you? I was telling you what kind of preacher I was gonna be. The first sermon and the first message matters, and Jesus gives us first sermon. And as we begin to look at invisible prisons, the sermon of Jesus sets the stage for the prison experiences that we have in life. By the way, context matters in the Bible. Context Matters. What I mean by is what happens before and what happens after the text and what the Bible says matters. It's important to pay attention to. So before we go into the sermon of Jesus, uh, I, I want to talk about what happened right before. Right before was the the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. You you remember this story where Jesus was tested by the devil three times. And for 40 days in the wilderness, in the desert, he was tested. And right after this, verse 14 says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit comes after the place of testing for Jesus. What's my point? Some of the greatest seasons in your life are going to come after the desert seasons That you experience. Did you hear that? Some of the greatest moments and the greatest power and the greatest story and your testimony is gonna come out of the desert seasons of your life, the wilderness experience of your life. Do not underestimate what God has you in because it's in those places that He's preparing you for something greater. Now, that's not the point of my sermon today, but that could be. What's important is that Jesus gives a description of his ministry and his mission. He tells his audience and his readers the kind of things that he is going to do. And he stood up to read, and as I studied this passage, I studied the, the, the flow, we call it in church, the flow of the uh, first century synagogue service in the Jewish religion. And I found out something very interesting. Even the way we do church today is rooted in the way Jews did their synagogue service 2,000 years ago. They open with a song, and then they read a psalm, and then they read a, a, a passage from the law. Uh, and then there's an Aramaic translation. Then they read the Great Shema, which is in Deuteronomy. And then they read a passage from the prophets. And that's what Jesus did. And then they give a sermon. All right, It's very similar to what we do today. And Jesus was invited by the rulers of the leaders of the synagogue, the, what we would call today the church elders or the church pastors, to read the scripture and give the sermon. It was dangerous of them to do that to this Relatively unknown rabbi. And so he gives this sermon, and like every good preacher, he's got four points. (laughs) And so I want to give those to you today. I want to give those to you today, the message of Jesus, and you can write these down. The first one is this He came to proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim good news to the poor. And by the way, when Jesus uses the word poor, he's not just talking about poor economically. He's talking about those who are poor in spirit. You see, in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does the poor in spirit actually mean? Well, that's synonymous for people who are humble and want to be used and want to hear from God. The poor in spirit are those who don't think highly of themselves, but those who are ready for God to move in their life. And so Jesus said, I came to proclaim good news To the poor, to those who are humble and who have hope in God. He says, I came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Freedom for the prisoners. And when he's talking here, by the way, when Jesus is... Is speaking on each one of these. I believe there's a physical component to his mission, but I, I believe the deeper reality is the spiritual component of his message. That he pro- came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, healing, both physical and spiritual. That there would be forgiveness of sins that keep people bound up. His third point would be this that I came to give recovery of sight for the blind. Again, not only is he talking physically, but more important, I believe he's talking spiritually. Did you know that the healings that Jesus did was, was something that happened in the physical to prepare people for the spiritual? Are you with me? And so his goal was to open the eyes of the spiritual blindness, the, the, to take the scales off so people could see clearly. And the last one, he said, is to set the oppressed free. To set the oppressed free. Those who are bound up. Listen, we have lived in a world ever since the fall of man where there are people who've been oppressed. And Jesus says, I came to set them free. Those who are bound up in cultural, social, or racial oppression, he came to set them free. Those who have had pressure put on them by powerful and evil leaders, he came to set them free. And he ends with this, that I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what he's talking about here is in the Old Testament, there's this something called the year of jubilee. Have you ever heard of this? After seven sabbatical years, so 49 years, there's a year of jubilee, the 50th year. And in the year of Jubilee, uh, that all economic debts were forgiven. So if you owed somebody anything, it was forgiven. All right, that'd be good news. Come on, somebody. It'd be like you waking up in 2023 and they saying your mortgage debt is forgiven. All right, your credit card debt is forgiven. All right? Your car loan is forgiven. Not only were the economic debts forgiven, but people would pay or, or give their land away as a debt that they owed someone else. So their land was given back. And some people would indenture themselves to slavery into, to someone else. Jews would do this and they would be set free. So the year of Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor is this major resetting of everything we know about social, cultural, financial responsibility in practice. I mean, it is a celebration that has taken place. And so this is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus. What what is Jesus actually saying here? I, I think Jesus is saying this. Everything you know about God and the Messiah is turned upside down. Jesus is saying that you think I'm going to release you from Rome's grip of oppression, but I'm actually going to release you from the devil's grip of oppression on your life and the sin in your life. You think I'm going to spend time with the powerful leaders and the Pharisees and see how I lead Israel out of Roman oppression, but I'm actually going to spend time with the poor and the humble and those who need me the most. That there's going to be forgiveness and freedom. There's going to be favor And celebration. And after Jesus preaches his first sermon, what happens? It says this. He says he rolls up the scroll. He hands it to the attendant. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled. It's like he dropped the mic and walked off stage. And two things happen. Is that there was amazement. And then there was skepticism. First of all, it says that the people were amazed at his teaching. Wow, he's so wise. I can't believe the things that he's saying. They're encouraged. I mean, their heart is pounding because they're feeling the Holy Spirit through him. Imagine, Imagine listening to that message for the very first time that you get to live in freedom. I mean, their eyes and their hearts are open. And then what happens right after you read the very next verse, some people start chirping. Well, isn't that Joseph's son? And this is the prophet, prophet is without honor in his hometown. Isn't that Joseph's son? And so there's amazement and skepticism in the same moment. And all of a sudden, the controversial ministry of Jesus begins. Jesus starts his ministry in controversy. Listen, if you're not preaching the gospel, the, the, uh, if you're not preaching, uh, if you're not having controversy in your life, then you're not actually preaching the gospel. Because the gospel is controversial to a culture that lives in in, in, in an anti-gospel or in anti-godliness. So Jesus gives this first sermon. You ever ask questions of scripture like this, why why is this the first sermon Jesus would ever give? It's important to ask yourself those questions. When studying the Bible, that's important. Why is this the first sermon of Jesus? Why make this message of liberation and freedom? Listen. I have been holding off on this sermon series for a year because I have been uncovering something that's in the Bible that that I've known was there, but I'm seeing it in a greater light and greater dimension. Because here is why. There's an overarching theme in Scripture that since humanity has been infected by sin, people have lived in captivity. Since humanity has been uh, infected by sin in the garden of evil in the garden of eden they've been infected by evil and sin both spiritually captive to sin but physically captive by people because of their faith now in the bible the the why do i call this the overarching theme Be, because of this I, I like to say this if you took sin out of the bible what would you have a pamphlet you would have four pages you would have Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, all right? The Bible would be very short if sin weren't a problem. And so the entire Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, the Old Testament, they do it through the law, they address sin. In the New Testament, they do it through Jesus, but it's dealing with the problem of sin, that since the very beginning, people have been bound up, trapped, caught imprisoned by sin and their life. And the law and the gospel and Jesus and everything God wants to do is to free them for that, from that. You see, God's destiny for your life and for humanity is to live in freedom. God gave Adam and Eve freedom in the Garden of Eden, freedom to have a relationship with him unhindered, And he gives us freedom in the garden-like city in Revelation. And so your journey, the journey of humanity is from the garden to the garden-like city. And the message of God in the middle of that is setting people free, spiritually, from captivity. So this isn't just one theme in the Bible. I think this is the theme in the Bible. That we are called to live in freedom, and God's destiny for you is to live in freedom, and God sets us free in areas of our life. Captivity, think about it. The places where people have been captive, they've been captive in Egypt, They've been captive in Babylon. They've been captive in Assyria. But not only has the nation of Israel been captive, people have been captive. Joseph was thrown in a pit. Daniel was thrown in a den, all right? Uh, people have been imprisoned throughout the scripture. So both as a nation and both as individuals, there have been people imprisoned. And it, the places of, the, of captivity... And the places of of the prison are not obstacles to God. And as you see people trapped and imprisoned by their sin, God's plan is to set them free. So I want to give you today four big ideas that's going to shape the next couple months together. Invisible prisons. Four big themes from this. The first one is this. Is that the prison is used by evil leaders to punish the faithful people of God. The prison... In the scripture, it's used by evil leaders to punish the faithful people of God. In the Old Testament, it's primarily physical is what we see. And in the New Testament, it's not only physical, but it's also spiritual. It's the idea that sin keeps us locked up. Now, I just want to list a few Bible characters Throughout the scripture, some of these we're going to touch on in the next month or two that were imprisoned for their faith. You have Joseph who was thrown in the pit for telling his brothers the dream that God gave him. So obeying God caused him to be thrown into a pit. You've got Daniel thrown into a den for disobeying the king's orders and praying to God. You've got Hanani in prison for rebuking an evil king and and refusing to go along with all the other prophets. You've got Jeremiah, Micaiah, Zedekiah, John the Baptist, Peter, James, John, Silas, Paul, Epaphras, Aristarchus, Junia, and even Jesus himself was imprisoned in a tomb. It would seem as I began to read the scripture that the prison places of life isn't just a coincidence by the faithful people of God, but it's almost the normative experience for the people who are following God's plan and his will for his life. Just think about that for a moment. For for us, we enjoy freedom of religion. We can worship God and worship Jesus however, whenever, and as much as we want. But that's unique to American society. There are many places around the world that do not have the freedom and luxuries that you do. There are Christians in China that cannot worship Jesus like you worship Jesus. They can worship Jesus, but they can't do it publicly. There are Christians in Russia. We have missionaries who are in Russia. Actually, they just got evacuated. That they cannot worship freely freely. One of my best friends got kicked out of Turkey. He was a missionary there for 13 years for preaching the gospel. He could not worship freely. In fact, the, the week that he opened his church, he advertised and he decided to go bold and go big and not do a kind of an underground church. It got vandalized right away. Broken windows and threats on his life. In 2014, I remember taking a mission trip with a few people from our church and we were traveling to Southeast Asia to find a place in an area that we would partner with as a church long term. And we went with a a family uh, that was going to go on the mission field and they were going to establish a place and they were going to be our outpost in Southeast Asia. And so we went on this tour of Southeast Asia. We went to Cambodia. We went to this uh, little Pacific island called Vanuatu. And then we went to Malaysia. And in Malaysia, uh, this was an interesting experience for me because in 24 hours, I preached to three different churches that spoke three different languages. I spoke to an English-speaking church. I spoke to a Chinese-speaking church. And I spoke to an Indian-speaking church. That was one of the most exhilarating cross-cultural experiences I've ever had. You see, in Malaysia, it's made up of uh, of Malays, which are the uh, indigenous ethnic people of Malaysia. It's made up of uh, Chinese uh, that immigrated a couple hundred years ago, and it's made up of uh, Indians that also immigrated there uh, about 150 years ago. And I found this out. I was talking with a pastor. His name is Pastor Henry. He's a Chinese pastor in Malaysia, and he oversees all these churches. And we were traveling around the country and speaking at these different churches, uh, and and he told me uh, that it is illegal to proselytize a Malay in Malaysia. The national religion is uh, Islam, so they're all Muslim. And said it is illegal to tell them about the gospel. It is illegal for them to become Christian. And so he told me that sometimes that there are, he goes, uh, there are pastors that he oversees that are in prison for preaching the gospel. He says sometimes that they would place a Malay inside a church service, and then they would have the police watching so that they could arrest the pastor. He told me this after I preached three times. (laughs) Listen, a lot of people don't get our luxury. I mean, we live in a unique time in society where we have freedom to worship Jesus, but most of the world doesn't. Most of the world doesn't, and throughout history, most people haven't. And the intent of the prison has been to keep people from God's plan. That's been the intent of the prison, to keep people from God's plan. But actually, the opposite happens. That the prison not only keeps people from the plan of God, but it becomes the platform for God to bring about his plans. You see, the prison places of life become the platform for God's power to move in people's life. It doesn't keep people and suppress God's plan. It actually propels God's plan. This is why I call it the prison paradox, because we don't understand this. But I told you this in the very beginning of the pandemic. My very first message was anytime we feel like the gospel is suppressed, it's actually a good thing, because that's when expansion happens. When the church was persecuted in Acts is when massive growth happened, exponential growth happened. So we say, oh, you're not letting us meet. You're making us do all these things. Listen, we should celebrate that. Because it's in those places that God moves the most. Are you with me? We just often don't have that kind of understanding. We think, oh, we're oppressed. But in fact, God moves in those places. He moves in those places. The very thing that the enemy wants to use to thwart the plans of God actually pushes the plan of God forward. It pushes it forward. Let me talk about Joseph again in the pit. Joseph was thrown in the pit for telling his brothers about the dream that God gave him, a dream that his brothers would end up bowing down to him. And as a result of this dream, they threw him in a pit. And that pit began the plan of God in Joseph's life. He went from the pit to the prison, like he went from worse to worse, all right, to the palace. And then he gets to a place where he gets to rescue the nation of Israel from a famine. So God's plan to save Israel, by the way, Israel was was Jacob. It was one family. Jacob changed his name to Israel. It was one family. That was all that Israel was at the time. One clan, one family, 12 sons. Like it could have been all wiped out in the famine. But Joseph went on this journey to be at a place where he could rescue Israel. And so... Hear me in this. Something I want to say. God does not cause the evil that happened, but what does he do? He uses the evil that happens in the world to bring about his plans. It's a paradox. And so the very thing that is meant to punish Joseph becomes the very thing that God uses in his life to bring about his plans. And his power works in miraculous ways in those moments of the prison places. The third thing is this is that we all face invisible prisons. You see, the invisible prisons that we face today are the things that you cannot see. They're the things that keep us trapped and bound up, things that keep us suppressed and pushed down. And oftentimes, they're the places in our life where we're ashamed of and we have guilt over. And they're the places in our life where we think, oh, God could never work in that. And they're the things in our life that keep us actually from community and keep us from church and keep us from Jesus or attempt to keep us from Jesus. What are the invisible prisons? There's lots of them we're going to cover. There's circumstances in your life. There's situations that you're going through that feel like you're trapped or you're bound up. Maybe some of you, it's a relationship that's dysfunctional, and and it's hurtful, and it's unhealthy. Maybe for uh, some of you, it's your physical health, and maybe you've been given a diagnosis. Maybe you have a disease, all right? No one can tell, and no one can know, but it feels like an invisible prison in your life. It keeps you from doing and thinking and dreaming about the things that God wants you to do. Maybe some of you, it's sin in your life. Maybe you've got a pattern of addiction in your life that, that you just seem like you cannot break in your life, and it keeps resurfacing over and over. And the moment you try to move forward in God's plan is the moment that this addiction or this sin or this thought or this temptation comes into your life. Maybe some of you, it's emotional health. Maybe it's anxiety or depression, and it's debilitating you and keeping you from fully functioning in what God has for you. And maybe for others, it's the wounds that you face throughout life that people have hurt you and the challenges with the wounds that we face is they often keep us trapped. You see, we all have invisible prisons in our life. All of us, I've got them. We've all got invisible prisons in our life. Things that the enemy tries to keep us trapped and hold us back from God's plan. And it is in these areas that God can move the most In fact, I would say this. It seems that God would prefer to move in the prison places of your life. And so my last point is this. Is that if the prison paradox is true, then we have to change our perspective of the prisons that we face. And instead of walking in shame and walking in guilt, you can walk in freedom because God wants to set you free. Instead of getting discouraged about the wounds or mental health or situation or dysfunctional relationships, you can understand that it is in those places that God can set you free. In fact, it's in the prison places that draw us close to God. I've always said that a relationship with God is not developed on the mountaintops, it's developed in the valleys. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are what? With me. me. Some of you don't know that verse. Some of you think it's, you rescued me. It doesn't say that you took me out. He says that you walked with me in the valley. That life is developed and growth is developed in those moments. And the things in your life that feel like they're trapped can be the greatest opportunity for God to move. I believe that with all my heart. I'm a walking testimony of that in my life. 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I took a a, a class called Preaching Practicum. (laughs) And I could hardly get up and talk to anybody. I was insecure, I was somewhat shy. And the first sermon that I preached in that class was about God using weak people for his glory. It was my story, it was like, I can't do this, so I'm gonna preach the very thing that I feel. God can use the most wounded places of your life and the most hurtful places of your life for His glory. And God can bring you to that place and you can see His power work in that. And I believe this, I believe this, that some of you, you've been wondering what your purpose here is on, on, on earth. You've been wondering what God has for you. Let me tell you, maybe the greatest purpose you've ever had is tied to the greatest pain that you're experiencing right now. Maybe your greatest ministry in the future is going to be from the pain or the wounds or the prisons that hold you captive right now. And so maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. Maybe you feel like it's failing and you feel like it's falling apart. See, God can redeem your marriage and can save your marriage. And maybe your marriage can be a testimony of what God can do. And that can be your ministry. Maybe some of you, it's mental health. And maybe you become the person that helps other people with that. And your testimony becomes a story in which God moves. Are you with me, church family? Listen, we've got to understand that we all have problems. We all have dysfunctions. And it is in those places that God wants to move in your life. Can somebody say amen? So what do we do? Here's what I want to do as we close. As we go through this journey together and look at the prison narratives in Scripture, I want us to be available for God to move. And so I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're here today and you just say, you know what, I wanna be available for God to move in my life in this moment, in, in this series, in this time, in this season. I just want you to do one thing. I just want you to put your hands out in front of you with your palms up. And just as a symbol of you receiving Jesus in, 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 but also offering your life to him to do what he wants to. So I'm gonna do this with you, church family, because I want God to move in those places in my life. So let me pray, God, we invite you into the deepest, darkest, most painful areas of our life. The areas that we are embarrassed or ashamed, the areas where there's so much doubt that we can't, from a worldly perspective, understand how you move in those places, but we are available to you. And we open our lives to you to work in us, to move in us, and to use our stories as testimonies of what you can do so that you can free other people and not only us. Jesus, thank you for preaching that very first sermon that you came to set the captives free and release prisoners. We wanna be invited into that story. Would you use us the way that you've used the people in scripture? We love you, Jesus. And we praise your name and everyone said, amen.